0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Confabulation. Confabulation is hosted by Our Sisters House, where we provide advocacy, education, and support for survivors of domestic violence. If you're experiencing domestic violence or any of your loved ones are experiencing domestic violence, please visit our website at oursistershouse.com or give us a call at 253-383-4275. I'm here joined with our legal advocate, Jill, and our intern, Amanda, and i want to welcome back toby joseph senior um he was on here a few weeks ago um, and we loved him so much that we wanted to have him again um and you know join us in another conversation there was a lot you know that we didn't cover um you know so i just wanted to have a second segment um and just welcome you know mr toby joseph senior how are you doing toby
1: doing good doing good it's been a great day
0: yeah so um toby is from the Tahoma Indian Center, and he does a lot of work, you know, with the community. So, you know, we didn't really, you know, get to talk a whole lot about kind of, you know, I wanted to kind of talk about, you know, what kind of struggles or, you know, issues that are kind of going on with, you know, the indigenous community, you know, right now, you know, in Tacoma or, you know, even in kind of the rest of the world, you know, especially what we're seeing, like in Canada and different places like that. Um, so, you know, I'm sure that you are, you know, well-versed on that. So I just kind of want to hear from you.
1: Uh, I, like always, I guess I'll start with, um, Haichka, CM in the local Toshutsi language. It means thank you. Um, that's the Haichka and then CM is honorable people. And so both for you and the people here and the listeners and all the people that do the work for my sister's house, thank you honorable people for the work that you do. And and I guess that's my segue even into, for what I do, it goes back to who I am. I was raised in a way that my grandmother made me very conscious of this twofold moral purpose that we have, education and service, that she was really quick to really speak to volition Thing that gets you up in the morning and goes. I got stuff to do. I got places to be. Things that, if I don't get them accomplished, they ain't gonna happen, leastwise by me. And so, growing up, that was always what drove this understanding and investigation of truth. That as another protocol or principle or teaching or value, however you want to articulate that. I grew up and appreciate, because I still don't feel like I'm an expert or well-spoken, at least in this context, how do I get well-spoken enough to empower and excite people to want to take action? Because there's so much that to try to talk about just the local issues, even my own personal issues. that My family, missing and murdered indigenous women, one of my sisters it still hurts, you know? I mean, we're talking 25, almost 30 years. and I can Just as easily feel like it was this afternoon shutting off the life support because people took my beautiful sister and threw her out the car like she was garbage. And those kind of statistics at a personal individual level took a lot of healing and stuff. So always in Indian country, I feel like I could say universally, it's about wellness it's about healing it's about finding balance and as we're doing that that's what's going on right now i'm at a six day um it's a program hosted by the one of the local tribes there's 31 of them here in washington state and this one is sponsored by the youth program and so we've got like 60 70 youth that are participating in everything from beating to canoeing And I don't mean canoeing like kayaking that you would think of in a Western way, but this idea that is this connection to the tree that was brought in from the forest, that is this connection to the world, that is this connection to the planet and each other, that as they go out on this canoe, connecting to the water, time, space, each other, all of it in an effort to go, hey, let's talk about what's going on whether that's missing and murdered Indigenous women as a contemporary issue. And there, there are a lot of contemporary issues that I guess I dance around because I don't want to talk and be in a place where I'm going, let's do poverty porn. Way too often people are put in situations. And when I became aware that that was something I no longer wanted to do, it, what I think is most important and what I'm absolutely willing to do is go, let's talk about and engage in a meaningful conversation that elevates the consultation, action, and reflection, because that's also going on in Indigenous community. That to listen to the youth this morning speak about other issues that are going on, or community even be preventative, let alone intervention-minded, the smoke that has been the wildfires that we see consuming you know, much of the planet, but definitely here regionally, over the last few years, we've, from an intervention standpoint, um, used traditional medicines and teas and things to help build up immune system and respiratory. And so this first foods effort that is a cultural piece, but it's when you said, when I say culture, because culture is going on every single day in Indian country. But for most people, I don't think they realize what that means in this context of how do we live our life. And so we're sharing with our youth this this week, here's some teachings that at a community level, at a local level, aspire to an international level, that how do we talk about 2% of the population owning 98% of the planet's wealth, the acquisition of wealth that has been, at best, weaponized, and at worst, weaponized to the point of genocide for our people that's going on too in our communities. As we're trying to heal, figure things out, we see all the things that other communities see when they're trying to heal because they're not well enough to be well. Whether that's domestic violence, things that are, I think, way too close to home too often for many of us, How, how do we navigate to other areas of our life to look at? And then some of the local strategies You know looking at peer counseling looking at culture looking to go how do we create wraparound systems of care because that's going on in indian country too that as we look at these systems of wellness and these frameworks and then try to navigate systems of power both locally and internationally i find myself talking to kids this morning and telling them stories that as a indigenous storyteller as a human teller of stories, I appreciate these spaces that allow for people to go, hold on, we started with a conversation that was this investigation of truth, and then it led us to consultation so that we can talk about those issues. And so for the youth, it ranges from my interpretation of what they're expressing, where do we go with a world that's falling apart and feels like it's burning down around us that as we know the smoke from the fires are coming at their young tender ages it seems like the new norm in my 50s I go you know I don't remember this when I was a kid and yeah it is the new norm and if we don't do something about it like missing and murdered indigenous women or even just Toxic masculinity that is this rape culture that is at the root of so many of those things. If we don't do something about it, it stays the norm. And so I got grandsons that I love that they hold hands. And we're making that the new norm because we're doing that in Indian country too. And redefining, not for others, but for ourselves, what does it mean to be who we are? We've been very fortunate that We're in this renaissance that I find myself uniquely positioned in my 50s to go. I remember, I so remember when in 1978, my dad was this joyful human being, because all of a sudden, it was no longer illegal to practice our culture, to talk about these indigenous ways of knowing this traditional ecological knowledge in a way that we didn't have to think about the punitive outcomes that are well, the war people have been at in this country for a long time. And it's not that as human beings, everyone around the planet has a known war or oppression, whether that's from the outside or internal lateral oppression that so often is the domestic violence in homes. You know, how do we heal? I, I feel very blessed to say that I have parents and grandparents even great grandparents that that was their norm and I remember my dad saying you know my dad said don't do me do better than me and so funny enough I found myself telling the kids that this morning and then telling them the story that I guess in part I'm not sure if this is answering your question for you But for me, it's culture that's going on in Indian country because we have to survive. The fact that we're still here isn't enough. The fact that we're surviving isn't enough. That, yay, I'm well enough that when I hear people say things that trigger me, I'm not triggered to a place for so long that I shut down and don't communicate because I appreciate the word surviving. Don't get me wrong. And then, as human beings, when we realize that we're sacred, for a lot of reasons that don't involve even religious dichotomy conversations, just the fact that we exist, this uniqueness of who we are, yeah, just yeah. in time and space, all of hey. a sudden, what are we up to? Yeah.
2: No, you, are we? you were talking about this is Bill. You were talking about, um, it just clicked in my head when you were talking about the tree that was made for the canoe and how um, nature plays into that. And you're you're at the camp with the kids. Um, And I kind of wanted to go back to that question um, about genocide. And I'm just wondering, um, the traditional diet, of indigenous peoples has been has been lost by and large. Am I correct? In
1: in 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 um, a lot of cases. It definitely is it's under assault and there's an active war. But yeah. to assert that it's been lost it it has an impact that not I'm not in a place to acknowledge it's been lost. Okay. Because as someone who at a regional level has been the regional first foods chop food challenge winner using indigenous ingredients i've seen this resurgence of our culture once it was made legal again right it's nothing short of a renaissance that's what i
2: wanted to ask you about as far as um as far as the kids go are what are, are you introducing them back into their traditional indigenous diets there or do they, are they already aware of it or, or or as far as diet there at the camp what what how is that how is
1: that going so i guess it just depends on the particular family um my family and some others are in a place that we're very fortunate there's been maintain knowledge that gets passed down so it just becomes tradition it becomes the norm yeah as you look to see where there's missing pieces because that's a part of what happens when you're indoctrinated into a system of genocide things disappear right. whether they're stolen or lost or okay. set aside or forgotten you have to to come back to them you have to form a relationship and that's really what the camp's about helping the kids form relationships where whether that's let's have a workshop or a gathering or some friends getting together because in a tribal community a lot of us grew up around each other and even for those that are coming back there's this deeper connection that isn't program; it's authentic relationship and ultimately that's really what we're trying to do in community is maintain and sustain those authentic intergenerational relationships because that's really what is going to move our people forward from a sustainability perspective. And all too often what I found in dominant culture it is that disconnect and all of a sudden people can't see how the tree is connected for them to every aspect of their life that for us whether it's story or in reality cedar and the cedar tree provided everything that our people needed to include the um, cedar hydrazole with lavender that the kids are using that was made in community for a sunburn you know as our kids reflect more and more of the medicine wheel meaning that our communities are now diverse in the way that well, they should be. There's these native stories that talk about the coming back together of the circle. And so we got dark skinned kids, we got light skinned kids and everything in between. And even this morning, nice to have a conversation to go, we all sunburn, so let's make sure we're using those traditional medicines that we've created in community to take care of this thing that is this need, because that's what lived experience and maturity well demand that we do. And so it's sharing those kinds of protocols that I guess there's, there's a young man Noah that I reflect on it. You know, that, that question so often for a 19 year old young man, he's who many of us who were pointed to as elders <sighs> turned you to go, you know, these young kids don't want to hear from us. They want to hear from their peers. And th- this youth empowerment program, that's all about, building that connection that as we see the seven, eight, nine year olds connecting to the 11 through 13 year olds who then collected like you know, the 17 to 21 year olds. We have people now in community that have come back to these foods and it is absolutely a level of expertise that it amazes me that some of them could probably be educators at a community college level because they have that level of expertise and understanding. And then some of the kids that come the first time they drink nettle tea is the first time they've ever had a reconnection back to indigenous foods or a conversation that is not just indigenous people, but all of us that have been removed from what was once eating in season, eating in the region that we're in those foods that were produced that well in nature, If you think of it that way, it's this apothecary, this pharmacy that all of a sudden food is medicine. And regionally, our people understood those connections and ate the foods that they needed based on where they were and what was going on. And so we could go out to the woods and find the things or down to the coast or up into the mountains. And so this is one of a number of camps where this one is geared more towards canoe culture in context of taking the canoe out and needing, specifically reconnecting the youth to those frameworks that are, well, so many that it would take too long to talk about all the human pathways that are culture that we're trying to reconnect our kids to, and then have them do that so that they can express themselves in song and in art, because that's what the spirit needs to do. And then other camps where we go up to Huckleberry Camp up at Indian Heaven and it's very specific. We're harvesting traditional medicines and it's centered around Huckleberry. Or other times we're out harvesting cedar, the inner bark that is what clothes or cedar hats that to see this young man weave this beautiful cedar rose and present it to this young lady. Well, beautiful to see our young people carrying forward those traditions that why we have love songs, why we have stories that are how we think about who we are. And so, yeah, the camp's going really well, and we have, like I said, a variety of kids that I'm grateful we have kids that, unlike myself, because you have to understand if culture was illegal until 1978, that explains why it wasn't until 1989 that the very first paddle to Seattle um, canoe event occurred legally and then there's been one every year since until covid and my family's been i believe on about 27 of 30 plus canoe journeys some of these kids and i'm in my 50s but some of the kids like my own they don't know anything else my 17 year old she doesn't know not being at huckleberry camp cedar camp canoe journey wow wow you know it's just it's the framework of our life it, it it's my i've got a 36 year old and she's barely old enough to remember when there was no canoe journey because it's been around now legally and then there were those of us that were participating in culture even when it was illegal because that's what was needed to carry it forward and so yeah now we don't have to hide it we can be out in public and now post, you know, the worst parts of COVID, you know, where we are, where we are, not that it's not a danger anymore, but, well, we're teaching our kids to form relationships and meet things halfway, whether that's plants, traditional foods, or COVID. Does that help?
2: Yeah, yeah, I that does help, because I like how you um, speak in a way where everything's interwoven, everything is intersecting. Um, because I had always wondered about the indigenous diets, you know, and how they, you know, be, well, because let's face it, dominant culture is not collective. It's individualistic. And so it that kind of, that kind of, like you said, you have this small percentage of the population with most of the wealth and all the power, so it's just kind of,
1: um, well, I don't know if I would agree with that, I would definitely say they have a lot of the wealth, and the financial wealth, it is Western wealth, Yeah. and then, yay, when people start to go, let's re-examine, investigate the truth of what power is of what real wealth is. And so, yay, that our kids are learning to value things that other, to them are what real wealth is rather yeah, than yeah. Western perceptions.
2: Right, and that's am speaking like dominant cultures so individualistic, other cultures are more collective so they view things through a different lens. Correct, yeah, um, because because that individualistic cultural aspect leads to a, a, everything being, you know, connected with money. Everything has a monetary value. It's all,
1: that's all that, what that is. So yeah, glad like you said. Yeah. It's not that Indians, indigenous people, you know, natives don't think individualistic. The difference is, and what I try to share with the youth many times through stories, it's about collaborative not competitive
2: Oh yeah that's a good way to put it exactly yeah yeah that's very
1: very good way to put it I have youth that I love that they go well I love to be competitive well now let's talk about what does that word and how many times words can have many different um purposes and uses and meanings and so it's really important that we speak to each other and speak in a way that back to these protocols, you know, teaching that how do we have our words be like a lodestone and attract the hearts of the people that are listening to what we're saying, that these are frameworks within story, within culture, that I don't think are unique to me. And then I want to be real clear. It's not like all Indians are going, let's talk medicine. You know what I mean? And I would even say dominant culture has aspects that, collaborative, that are communal. It's just harder to see sometimes, especially I think as people of color, because we have to talk about this thing that I tell the kids is the most vital and challenging issue that permeates every conversation and every framework that exists, and that's racism. Some of that competitiveness, some of that individualism from a healthy balanced perspective, isn't the problem. But then when filtered by groups who well, go only my group and in, within my group, this thing that I get frustrated, because you you heard the term, um, like people having a crab mentality. Yeah. And the barrel. Right. Now, what I find interesting is crabs only do that in captivity. That pull each other back down and back into the barrel to try to escape. Yeah. And I would challenge anyone listening to go onto YouTube and put in collaborative crabs or crabs being collaborative. And what you'll see is a whole host of videos that in nature, in their natural habitat, within how like gravity, natural laws are defined, you start to see that collaboration to this point, you will see hundreds of crabs hit an obstacle that no one crab can accomplish um, navigating it from an individual perspective and they will literally lift each other up. They will stand on top of each other until they can pull one another up and over an obstacle that that crab mentality that is so often perpetuated as a weakness is really a colonial Western oppressive mentality that comes out of trauma and well, oppression that all of a sudden lateral oppression is real. And more often that 2% keeps us fighting and using lateral oppression. So we're arguing over race, instead of really going, wait, hold on, how did these class systems become such a strong reality that if we look at history, not only our own, but from a global perspective, we start to see that what's, whether it's here in this country with things like COINTELPRO and CIA, this navigating of Regime takeover that goes all the way back to Alexander the Great. You know, there's this Roman system that has been perpetuated as a system of manifest destiny, even from Constantine and the idea that that system was, well, spiritually manifest from purpose that way. So, you know, not to get too off, off topic, because I think it all goes back to then the question so, what's going on in Indian country? For me personally, it's all of these things. And yay, I get to engage with youth to go let's talk about and investigate truth and use protocols like consultation, action, reflection, looking at frameworks that are teachings that talk about how the betterment of our communities, the betterment of the world will be accomplished through pure and goodly deeds that are commendable and seemly, that being in a good way because that's what it is that crabs are doing when they're lifting each other up. That many times when you look at the systems that are nature, and not that I believe our people worshiped eagles or deer or elk or any of those things, but we did look to nature because that's where we saw the natural laws that are the science that dictate how the world operates. And I know for me, it was those things that my grandma said, when we behave within that structure, that's when we find the most support. That's when we find sustainability. And so, really getting people to go, you know, how do we clean up watersheds? How do we plant foods that in my community we have over 22 gardens that are part, part of an urban farm network that took backyard gardens all the way to a concept of urban farming. And so, I think as more people absorb some of these concepts that or less oppressive, less about control. I mean, we walked into a store yesterday with a couple of youth, and it was interesting because the gentleman says, uh, "No shirt, no shoes, no service." And okay, we're not going to argue. You know, it's your business. That's fine. But it was interesting. One of the youth posed this question: "You know, shoes are dirtier than feet. Where did that law come from, and where and why?" And so as they were sitting around yesterday and, you know, we're getting ready for camp today, a couple of them did some research. And what they really started to talk about then were Jim Crow law and how laws were passed to go, let's start picking on people, certain groups of people that when you think not from a racist perspective, but from a classist perspective, most of a certain type of community didn't have shirt and shoes. And so whether it was keep your whatever color body out of our building or your poor Appalachian mountain hillbilly body out of my building. Mm -hmm. Well, these systems of power that really aren't real power, they're oppression. And so mostly that's the kind of stuff we're talking to with our youth and going, how do you navigate that? How do we give you resiliency? And here's a song that when you're feeling bad, you can sing, or when you're happy, you can sing or anytime you need to express what is your spirit, because sometimes our kids talk about things that are still going on in our communities, that as you look at disparity, some of the greatest disparities exist in our community. And so whether that's suicide or addiction or you know domestic violence, the more we become aware, the more we get educated, the more we can be of service. And then back to talking to the kids about volition, Know, at the end of the day, can you hold account for what you're doing? And yay, yeah, that our community, both in Canada, the U.S., and I would even, I guess, add um, Mexican people, these, these ideas that the honor of one is the honor of all, that we are interconnected, and that how can I possibly say that, you know, my life is powerful or wealthy or successful, when far too often, even in Tacoma, you see so much homelessness, so much hunger, that in your program, even hard to navigate if what we say is a successful community, many of our women can't even be safe. And so, when we can look at what are real systems of power that, you know, we talk to our kids about matriarchal leadership and what... What is real power the ability to give birth? You know, what is what is absolute power, this thing that is human beings and this uniqueness to time and space that once you're here, well, it's a miracle because you've never been here before in this body, in this way. And once you're gone, even if you believe in other systems that say you return, it won't be in this body, it won't be in this way. And so you know, helping our kids know that they're sacred and that the choices they make matter. And then again, back to story that, you know, I don't ever know how much time or what people like, but one of my favorite things is telling story that kind of a short piece, when you talk about food and tie all that in, I mean, I would ask as a question, how many of you, whether on the call or listening or later would think of dandelion as a food? And then how deeply do you see food? Is it just something you stick in your mouth, you know, for physical nourishment?
2: Since or? I'm is... African-American and we've been in, eating dandelion, all kinds of greens for a long time, I think of it as a food.
1: Absolutely. And then both physical. Now, would you think of it as a, a, a an emotional food or a mental food?
2: It's, it's an emotional food. There's a lot of, you know... With um, with our history and slavery here in this country, it it becomes an emotional food. Yeah, it, no, it goes I agree. beyond culture, um, and um, it becomes well. That's why it's called soul food. You know, it's emotional.
1: Great. Yeah, and so our community has even gone from going, hey, let, let, let's take these dandelions and learn how to make salad or tea or extract it and create a tincture that can be used to cleanse the liver or the kidneys, but even take that plant and understand through story, these social, emotional components that dandelion in our community is taught as what resiliency looks like, that one of the things that as a teaching dandelion brings is resiliency. Even when, you know, the world has tried to murder dandelion, much like they've done our people, you know, 98% of indigenous people have been wiped out. In my own local community, gentrification is real. A community that was once 80% people of color is now 70% white. And I don't say that from a place of anger. I say it from a place of reality. And then I get angry about that reality, because what it means is our people keep getting shoved into these places as resources get extracted for certain groups without thinking collaboratively and go, hold on, you know, let's talk participatory budgeting. So we're talking to our kids about that, because that's how through potlatch redistribution of wealth was looked at as a concept. So we didn't create systems of classism where you had only the few that were wealthy that. To be one of those people was to be a Quanitam, And it was shameful to be a Quanitam. That we called each other Quanitam before the word meant white people. And then I go, it doesn't mean white people. It means greedy. And it is shameful to be greedy. That too often people think of only themselves. And we live in a world where because there's been all this trauma, and then all of a sudden to think, hold on, people have no problem sharing dandelion because it's plentiful and then how do we start thinking from that place that is strength based values based that is a place where we no longer are thinking in a way that is negative but plentiful and so all of a sudden we can talk about dandelion as this thing that like our people there's a conscious effort to eradicate us yet we're still here even if that means growing up in the cracks where life is hard and so all of a sudden we can do that same thing with alder and talk about the beauty of alder not only as a food but as community builder that if you look at different communities whether alder or cedar or aspen these trees the root systems that are interconnected that the the biodiversity of these gardens in nature cannot exist without diversity and so you cannot even have u- true unity without diversity And so, you know, that's what we're trying to share with our kids, because a lot of our kids are even now going, wait, hold on. Am I an Indian still? Because I look in the mirror and people tell me I'm white or I'm black or I'm and then go for Indian people. As much as names like Puyallup, Nisqually, Cowlitz, Apache and so on are real. Those names once meant like Spuyallup in Tacoma. The Spuyallups were the generous people. And it wasn't an identifier of race it was an acknowledgement of their character because we understood we're all connected and we're all the people that before white people came here we knew who they were our concepts and our stories talked about the others and so we knew about the others and then well history has clearly gotten us where we are and then yay some of what we're doing is talking about not being angry not perpetuating well, that eye for an eye kind of thing, it wasn't really one of our concepts. And if it was one, then those communities, well, that's So my grandma said, you know, we had banishment too. you know, where I come from in our community, if you couldn't live in a good way, you were nashed. you were told to leave. And so, you know, all of a sudden, if you weren't being thoughtful of others, it had consequences. Nowadays, the, the consequence for thinking about self is, is too rewarding. And so why we spend so much time and effort and resources to, well, I think, educating our young so that they can grow into, well, what for us is a good way. That listening to you and others like, oh, isn't about being an Indian, but being a good human being, a good two-legged, that is getting an education, being of service driven by volition, you know, acknowledgement that there's a creator and teachings that I don't care how you look at those teachings as to where they come from. Are they are you kind, loving, radiant? Are you truthful? Are you just? That I could talk to you about the Lakota, the seven values of the Lakota, or a number of other tribes that as I traveled the country recording elders as a profession for over a decade, this strength-based, values-based, community-based, collaborative approach that I believe is why our people are still here. And then we have trauma. So much trauma that that's this place the world is in. And like our youth said, you know, how are we making sure we got enough restorative lung elixirs and salves, and the things that we need for our community so that we can help our most vulnerable get through what's going to be another rough fire season. But in community, we created a, foods-based wellness curriculum specifically for building up the immune and respiratory system, That can you imagine if, for free, the Western medical system said, hey, on top of wear a mask, on top of get vaccinated, here's a list of teas and plants you can grow and turn into tea and drink that will help with your lungs and your immune system that will make you more resilient to COVID. The AR community didn't create that and then go, how do we weaponize it so that it's, you know, well, economically weaponized for some individual to gain profit? That knowledge that for us is power was freely shared. And so, you know, I, I think a lot of what we're doing is is this and then connecting with people like you who go, wait, we're doing that, too, because you know what? We know what it means to be a good two-legged. Yeah. You know, the real story, there's a story about this rabbit, uh, you know, a word. I, I love language. And so I want to share some with you. I want to share this word squidated and why it's important to know that word. It means someone blessed with life. And the day we take our first breath, we're squidated. I have a grandson named squidated, but that word existed before he did. And yay, that's the name my daughter gave him. Acknowledging not only he's blessed with life, but this blessing that he is in our life. Like all of our grandkids, you know, I've got a grandson named Masak soaring eagle, or Shizabish, Stealthy Warrior, you know, and then I got a grandson named Ezra. You know? <laughs> you know we're we're up to living, you know, we're up to doing what it is that human beings do. And then for those of us that are well enough. We're helping others because, like in the story, and why I tell you the word "squedanta." Once you realize you're blessed with life and why, just like the African term "Ubuntu," to acknowledge that time and space and be able to share it with others, that's power. That's wealth. And so, I'm grateful to do that at this youth camp, or even in this moment. That if there's people listening who never knew they were squedanta, or if they knew. What are they doing about it to hold themselves accountable at the end of each day? Because there'll be a point where we cross over. And whether you believe in some religious dichotomy or not, just the very act that we existed in this short period of time, how we live our life daily is what, at the end of our life, we're held accountable to. And then, sad, some people don't have the stories told about them, that is why I'm glad when people go, can you tell me stories about Auntie Juanita again? That isn't my blood relation, but this elder who's 97 years old in the community, that yay community wants to know and remember Aunt Juanita, because she has spent 97 years getting up every day with her volition going, we're here. And like the Cowlitz people, I mean, their, their recognition was only 20 years ago. The Lenape on the East Coast. Their their recognition was barely 10 years ago, and there are hundreds of tribes who had their recognition ripped away, like the Duwamish in Seattle, for no other reason than to acknowledge them would mean Seattle had to acknowledge that Seattle exists on their land. So why would you acknowledge people? And back to, well, because it's the right thing to do. And, you know, I raise my hands to you and again say hi to CM for asking me back. And I would say not so much for acknowledging me, but giving opportunity to acknowledge and share words that hopefully people here and in this context at some point would even go, you know, this rabbit squidated. The story means a lot to me because the short version of it, there's a story where they say that the, the animals they gathered they came together in this longhouse to go, what do we do about the humans who no longer listen? That these original instructions that creator gave, they no longer behave in a good way. And So the animals actually were going to rise up and like do away with human beings. But dog was there. And they say dog snuck off and warned human beings. And, you know, they say it's why dog is our best friend. Dog knows our potential, and knows that we're squidata, someone blessed with life. But they say that even the animals, they had start to forget, too, because there was this young rabbit, Squidea who showed up at that meeting. And as it was about to start, he began to sing a song. And by the end of the story, little Squidea is ripped apart. Arms and legs spread to the north, the south, the east, and the west. His head up on the sacred mountain. And then, yay, these stories, they end in a good way like this. Rabbit comes back together because the animals realize that they, too, had well, begin to forget to listen. And so they let Rabbit finish his song. And in this longer version, you realize that Robert showed up in a good way. He came with his heart in a good way. And even though he got ripped apart, he still did it in a good way. And in the end, it was because of Rabbit that the animals were able to start to well listen again. And so I shared that story actually with some of the youth this morning around the um, morning breakfast camp. And a couple of my love that they go, you know, every time I hear that story, I appreciate it because it reminds me every single time I feel like I'm getting ripped apart. And all of us do that. For the kids, you know, it's puberty. And I I love the young man. He says, I acknowledge I'm going through puberty. And I feel like Spadella said, like, like every day I wake up and I'm getting ripped apart. But then he acknowledges there's people like in domestic violence situations or around the world that are oppressed and metaphorically and literally are being ripped apart. And then, yay, yeah, that these young people, they know like Skodeta that as long as they come in a good way, they're going to be able to, like Skodeta, put the, the work in and make a difference. And so, I mean, literally that story can be a two hour story if I stretch it out you know, for like when we do our storytelling festival um, stuff for the youth, we'll do like six days of storytelling. And some of the stories will go, you know, be a few hours long. There's a story, Johnny Moses that has, I think it's an eight day creation story that there are tribes that have stories that, you know, can be two, three days long. And so I don't really feel like a great storyteller because at best, you know, I could tell a story for a few hours. And then it's relevant to go because these stories are who our people have been. They help guide to understand who we are and then help us even more so think about where we want to go and who we want to become. And I think that's relevant as we live in this day where all human beings have to figure out how to come back together, how to work together and make the world a better place otherwise that knee that's been on the back of our necks that stops us from breathing it's bad enough when it's over eight minutes and then at times people don't go that knee's been on the back of this continent for 500 years it's about time we stop funding those systems of oppression and i'm not even talking about defunding the cops that's a different thing i'm not even getting into i'm just talking about how do we stop weaponizing the economics of systems so that we can be more collaborative and thoughtful of the water we drink, the air we breathe, the food we eat, because if we're not, it's why people are dying of cancer. It's why diabetes is the number one killer of indigenous people and like heart disease or COVID. Racial disparity is why we're dying of all those things more than dominant culture. And so Yeah, you know, eat well, live well, breathe well, drink well. And then, you know, recognize that it's that water that's power. It's that air and wind that we breathe. That's real power. And interestingly enough, not even the richest of the rich can withstand it. So, yeah, yeah, our kids are understanding that. I mean, literally, as I'm speaking, there's a group of them in a canoe that was carved this year by Guy Komen out at Quinault and they're traveling on the river. The same way that our people have traveled and then why the Cowlitz are called the forever people. That even though I'm not Cowlitz, I'm quite proud to have traveled with this community for so long and that my family calls it home. Because at the end of the day, whether it's my sister's house, your sister's house, we're all looking for home, right? Somewhere we can hang our hat, feel connected and loved empowered. So yeah, I I, I hope that shares because I, I think so much of what you do as a program and these opportunities to bring people together, they go back to just basic human relationships. And we have domestic violence because so many things have been weaponized. And rather than there's a teaching about overcoming war with a greater thought of love and peace I don't mean to be all like hippie like that's not me but that is very indigenous because what my dad said our people understood what it meant to go to war too and we don't want to go to war because sometimes you don't come home from war and if you do you come home changed and so that's part of what we're trying to do right now is overcome war in a way that well we can pass on those teachings to our kids and Hopefully then, instead of focusing on genocide, they're focused on what's important, staying here and thriving, just surviving ain't enough anymore.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I just want to say thank you for coming on again. And, you know, as always, your words are, you know, a great blessing, um, not only to me, but I hope that, you know, a blessing to somebody else and that they could take at least, you know, one thing away from it. Um, and I just want to close this out, you know, by saying thank you for listening to this episode of confabulation. Um, I want to just implore you, if you are experiencing domestic violence or you or any of your loved ones, um, are, you know, going through a tough time, please give us a call at 253-383-4275 or visit our website at oursistershouse.com.
1: If I could share one last thing, it's just these words. My dad, in his um, in the Navajo language, these words, means as much as something can be, I love you. And I guess if, if there's some th- something I wanted to share before we go, it's both for well, the work that you do and for the people listening and for the people that need to hear it, as much as something can be, I love you. I hope you have a blessed day.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Appreciate you.
1: Okay.